0: Cluster Conversations, a podcast by Africa Multiple. Welcome to another episode of Cluster Conversations. My name is Christina Hanke. I'm professor of digital and audiovisual media at Bayreuth University and member of the research section Knowledges in the Cluster of Excellence, Africa Multiple. And I'm happy to welcome Dr. Maya Figge today, who is fellow, has been fellow since some months this term. Uh, Maya figure is, I would say, one of the most well-known German academics dealing with media and film theory and postcolonial and anti-racism. I would put it like that <laughs> if you agree. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us today. We would like to talk a bit about your project you're following up here. Uh, maybe you just tell us a bit. What have you been doing here? What's your main topic and how is it linked to your former work?
1: Yeah, thank you, Christina. Um, in, during the fellowship here at the cluster, I work on a book project. I try to prepare the manuscript of a long, ongoing project that I've been working on mainly uh, by writing articles um, on the trans-temporal bonds between uh, militant African cinemas and Afro-diasporic post-cinemas. And it's called, the book project itself is called Black Post Cinemas, Genealogies, Practices, Aesthetics. And in the book, and also that work that I do here at the cluster, um, I take the coincidence of the recent proliferation of artistic and academic work on and with the archives of militant cinemas of the 1960s and 70s, motivated, I would say, as they are by um, present political urgencies and the coincidence of those this return to the archives um, with the discourse on post-cinema both occurring around 2010 um, as a starting point to explore the centrality of circulation in both of them and circulation because this is the this year's topic of the cluster but also really in order to make a claim how they are genealogically linked the both through this uh, practice of circulation Mm -hmm. and um, with regard to the prior my prior work um, I can say well in my dissertation I um, didn't so much work on African media or Afro-Diasporic media, but I did work on German cinema, but with a focus on, of the 1950s Western cinema, but it was always um, intended to write a history of this decade with regard to the presence of black, blacks, black people in Germany, Africans, Afro-Germans. And um, thinking through the, this presence, it, with regard to the cinema and how the notion of Germanness was established to, to through to these films. And um, so, and doing this, time I also, for quite some years, I was part of a, a DFG research group on Germany and Black Diaspora. So I've been dealing with topics of um, black like diasporic practices, presences and uh, knowledges for quite some time and, um, and it's also maybe linked in that sense that it's, uh, um, that it's also my interest in history of knowledge through cinema by looking at films, right, so taking films as knowledge and also making films as knowledge productions. Or even theory, depending on the films. I mean, it, there's a big argument about films being theoretical, not only in film philosophy, but also maybe in essay film. But even more so, really, through thinking through certain knowledges in the way, how can they be, I don't know, aesthetically and politically and technologically um, advanced through film, maybe. Um, so that maybe would be to frame it a little bit.
0: Yeah, maybe I, I could add, as far as I'm knowing your work quite well, that you also have been introducing or drawing on on literature from the Global South since the beginning of your academic work, so to say, more than 10 years. You have been one of the first German scholars, really always drawing on theories, theories from the Global South. That's maybe, besides the films you're drawing on, also another yeah, focus, which, yeah, which is founding your research work, as far as I understand. If you speak about knowledge production and your new project, the book project you were talking about, I would be interested to hear a bit more about the, the subject of your research, militant African cinema. Tell us more. <laughs> what is that? And which actors, which countries are involved? And how far can films or filmic practice be militant? I will do that in
1: a sec. I just wanted to add to the question of um, working with theories and um, scholarly work from the global south uh, is maybe also an attempt to really take this project of decentering um, media and film studies or provincializing them really serious, and also being. Um, Trying to think of that in a historical perspective, really, that's really important to me because I really think, especially with regard to film, um, that there—I mean—this work has been going on for decades. I think at least thirty years, um, and but it hasn't been recognized really in the German context. So that's also one of one of my um, interests in doing that by you working with those references right so but then also with regard to African militant cinema maybe um, where do I start I can start maybe with the question of militant cinemas what does it mean it means different things in different contexts mostly it had been used in the francophone context uh, cinema militant for any kind of politically involved cinema practices especially in the aftermath or around 68. So there's a big uh, corpus of those works, but then as, as we know that also 68 were global, was global, it was a global phenomenon. It never only referred to that, right? Because it was also also um, a global practice, I would say. And then if you think of militant cinemas, it's uh, and I would actually frame it as militant image with a reference to, Ross Gray and Kujo Eshun termed this like militant, sin, militant image in, um, in their introduction of a third text issue of the journal Third Text. Uh, it's any kind of film, image, or sound practice, exhibition, distribution, uh, meeting, gathering, um, screening, text, talk, speech, person festival whatsoever that is related to film practices in trying to put forward anti-colonial and post-colonial struggles and not only being in solidarity with them but actually contributing to them via film and really making uh, cinema instrumental for the struggles and instrumental in that sense as it was um, proposed in the seminal text by uh, Fernando Solanas and um, Octavio Getino in their text um, towards a third cinema of they started the first publication was in 69 um, when they talk about cinema as a tool for cultural decolonization and it's the instrumental and many other things um, evolve out of that but it's um, so how, how does it, why is it um, African militant cinema, it's um, the whole idea I would say of the militant image It's that it's not um, only focused on one region, na- nation, national context but it's always been tricontinental so it's uh, very much linked to the whole idea of tricontinentalism Uh, of that, what we once called Third World, and it goes back to a um, conference that took place in 66 in Havana in Cuba. And so also I would say that um, those early militant cinema practices on the African continent are very much linked to the nationalist liberation movements, but at the same time they are uh, also uh, linked to the strike continentalism because the people that were involved were part of that movement. And with regard to the films in my project, I'm not so much interested in giving an overview of all the militant cinema practices that have been there, but it's rather working with that term and looking at specific configurations of certain films and how they circulated they were made who was involved um, how do they relate to other films um, in this sense and then um, one example would maybe be Sara Maldoror's film Sambizanga it came out in 1973 and it's dedicated to the little liberation struggles and set in Angola it's about the Angolan liberation struggle um, and it's really about trying to also at once trace the production histories if you will which has been done a lot with this film but then also trying to think about um, what happens when this film that had been couldn't be shown uh, in the cinemas for a very long time so there was only one copy copy in the public library in New York and then it circulated on YouTube for many years that's how I saw it the first time and then now in 2021, it has been restored by uh, PAPSI, P- P- uh, Cinema Ritrovato, and the World Cinema Fund. And so it's always also about how does this relate to the today, and the question why is it so important that we look at those films today?
0: Maybe. May I, shortly before we start talking about this question of circulation, archiving, restoration, maybe just explain us how can how can film be a tool for resistance, political activism? I mean. We as film scholars, in a way, we know what we're talking about, but maybe our audience not. Could you give us some hints how to understand film really as a political resisting practice? Or, I mean, if you call it uh, militant cinema, how can film cinema be militant? Okay, I try
1: to uh, break it down. So the first would be really thinking of film as a collective practice like the making of film as a collective practice, that would would be the first thing, how you can link it to political work or organization. And then the second would be the um, exhibition, the screening of films, that is also used to be even more so with the analog film or a collective experience. And, And with regard to that, there's been a lot of work been done on how can we uh, think through the, through film and politics through the question of the collective experience of the screening. And one of the most important points that Chetien um, and Solanas made was that they conceived of the screening as a um, cinema act, the filmic event, the screening event as a cinema act, as a potential or actual political meeting. And they did that because in in the Argentinian context where they were based and where they made made their film Laura de los Hornos, and they had to to make the film under clandestine um, uh, circumstances and also the screenings were partly under clandestine circumstances. So it was really about... And then what they also did is they addressed this whole questions in their film when they say okay, this is where the film ends, now it's up to you. And they would um, consider film as something that is, um, something that can ignite the struggle, right? In that sense that it's opening up a space where people can actually engage and come up with new ideas and strategies and tactics for the struggle. So that would be one part of it, but I think also when I go back to sara Maldroa, it's really also, on the level of the narrative, if you would say, but then also on the level of the aesthetic. And uh, there it's really telling the story of the beginning of the, or the time just before the taking up the militant struggle in Angola and also the creation of the collective and the solidarity of the Angolan people and then the movement, but it's also at the same time really the way how I would say uh, this is um, shown aesthetically by trying to undo and that's really also I think a big part of that uh, trying to undo the the racism that is inherent in the photographic stock of film since its emergence or development at the late 19th century right so it's been also and then how can not only this but also the yeah how can the struggles of black peoples but also peoples from the global south be changed in a way that they don't that there's an interruption of the colonial gaze
0: right and if you say that uh, militant cinema is I mean is very much linked to the anti-colonial struggles on the continent Um, then in a way I assume I have the answer already but I would like you to comment on that why is it or why is it on one side important to you to have a new look on this and the other point as far as I remember it's kind of getting popular or popular maybe that's too much but there's a new interest generally in the public seems to for militant cinema Uh, maybe you can comment on that why is this happening just now? or these years. Can I just add something from the last
1: thing? Because I think it might be a good um, link. Because I really think so Mar- Sarah Maró, she made the film for Africans and African audiences, even though she knew it would be really difficult to show it on the continent. And they couldn't shoot the film in Angola because it was still Portuguese colony, and they shot it in Congo, and it was French money, and it was shown all over the globe but at the same time it was also to really gather solidarity all over the world right with the lusophone liberation struggle so it's it's never been it's it's a and it's a really important thing to think okay we, we do african film for african peoples and audiences and it has been for a long time been really difficult because there because of the funding basically and the infrastructures but at the same time It's always been, again, in circulation through the festivals globally and the reception and the interest. And why is it interesting now? I mean, now is, um, I would say, there are certain waves. And I would say the last one starts around 2008, 9, 10, when there are like new publications coming out and also archival projects starting scholarly projects starting artistic projects starting filmmakers archival projects starting and i think it's really or that's what i what i read from different different um, publications that it's really because of the current situation at that point right it's really contemporary urgencies and it's uh, for instance um, there's in one publication there's um, Simon Gikandi in the preface saying okay whatever whatever happened to decolonization right and I think that's the core question because it's whatever happened to it and it happened various things when we look at like how the newly founded independent states what happened to them and civil wars and so on I'm not going to go into that but it's um, but also it it is something that couldn't be talked about anymore, right, for a long time, in a way it felt like that. I think that's the sense that was going on and it was really also in relation to the um, neoliberal mentality taking over and yeah, subjectivizing all of us in a way and how can we find openings um, and potentialities to, to yeah find some openings to open that in a way and I think that was also a move to go back and look okay what was what was actually what were the different projects of decolonization cultural decolonization but also decolonization or liberation militant liberation struggles and then especially in New Zealand Africa turned into wars now and at the same time I really think it was also linked to the new emerging accessibility through the circulation of those films on the platforms and that they somehow reappeared and were able to see. But also the interest of places like the Arsenal in Berlin, for instance, uh, Institute for Film and Video Art, uh, having many copies of films of the Global South since their initiation with the uh, form of the Young International Film. Because they, sh- all these filmmakers showed their films there, so there's copies of those films. So then, they also initiated archival projects. So is, there's this configuration of incidents
0: that come together at that at that same point. I think. So in this sense, archiving and restoration seem to be very, very important in order to to make them accessible, these films accessible again, or to bring them again into circulation. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that, I mean, it's clear that, of course, after all the anti-colonial fights and now the official decolonial states uh, uh, or autonomous states, still we see a lot of colonial legacies, also in the relationalities between Germany, for example, where we're situated now, um, and the global south, and, of course, the urgency, the contemporary urgency you were spoken about, racism, inequalities, uh, neoliberal capitalism, and so on. But it's interesting that now drawing on these films from the 1960s and 70s, I'm curious what they can, because on one side I see the urgencies are still very much there, but the tools seem to have changed a lot. <laughs> also the question of what, especially after 1989 and the breakdown of the of the Soviet Union and the socialist bloc, in a way, all the left movement said, okay, what now? Which kind of strategies, tactics? So I'm wondering how these films from the 1960s and 70s what you would say, what they can say us today for the struggles and the important struggles of still decolonizing today. What can they say us and where would you say, yeah, has it, yeah. I think really, I mean, the
1: question of um, whatever happened to decolonization also points us to the fact that it's ongoing, right? It hasn't, it hasn't happened, and the coloniality is still happening. And um, also, we could uh, consider decolonization as an ongoing process. We could. That would be more in the sense of um, Michael Cabral as a like a constant becoming no? as the the leader of the PAIGC the um, liberation movement of Guinea-Bissau but also I mean with transfer now we have to think of it as a complete turnover and interruption and a violent motion right that cannot be without that so but then I think it's really, this is crucial. And then what can the film tell us is that, when, again, with regards to Hermann de Rohe, I would say, or that's what I'm trying to argue in my chapter on that film, is that when you look at her film, you can really trace issues that are so important today with the struggles for decolonizing um, today and also for approaches like restorative justice and questions, for instance, of like how community and care play a big role in that, and that that's something that she shows us, right? So I think it's really it's really timely in that sense. And the other thing, other example that I've been working on is the film *Tukipuki* by um, Diop and his film is in Senegal of 1971, I think it came out and um, the starting point for me writing about Tukibuki was a text by I say it's thinking with Tukibuki because in 2018, the Carters who are Beyonce and Jay-Z used the really well-known and very popular poster of the film and they did a, they, we, staged as it was a remediation you could say of this poster of the film to advertise their second tour world tour right so and it's taking they're taking it up they take this film from 72 up in order to make a point in their career at a point where, where in the US there is not only systemic anti-black racism and state uh, state, races, uh, yeah, state racism and killings but there's also um, Trump and Beyonce and Jay-Z have become over the course of those last years more outspoken in terms of that so then they take this up in order to tell a different story of fugitism right with fugitivity which is a really important uh, concept, I would say, in with regards to African-American um, medical thought, black medical thought, but also really the history of slavery in, in the plantation in the North America. So then it's again a tool to re- relate this back, but at the same time use it for the, the contemporary, even though it's in the pop cultural sphere, right? But it's still linked to the political,
0: I would say. It's interesting, we bring in the concept of knowledge in a way, you showed quite good how the how we can understand the militant image as knowledge producing and how this knowledge has been brought into circulation again on one side in restoration work and archival work, but on the other side also including it in a way and transforming it, drawing on it, referring to it, uh, reconfiguring it maybe. <laughs> Towards uh, pop, in pop, cult, pop culture, pop culture—that's very interesting. Maybe uh, to as a last question, um, um, I'm very curious on no, two questions actually. <laughs> Maybe one question: uh, Give us some more hints how we, also non-scholars, might be able to watch these films. <laughs> you mentioned YouTube, uh, so is it easy to find them? Even if I'm not able to find a cinema which just screens it. How can I get access to them?
1: Yeah, I would say uh, YouTube is always a good source, first place to look. And but obviously, I mean, there has been a lot, many films have been restored thanks to Abu Bakr Sanogo in Fei but also Martin um, Scorsese in the World Cinema Fund, and also Cinemaritravato in Bologna, no and um and other initiatives but they would be the most obvious and i mentioned them also because they have finally after the daughters of sarah fighting for 20 years to get the rights to the copy back to restore it in in collaboration with them and it, so it has been restored in 21 and now there is a copy but but i also now you can access it via amazon prime not to advertise it, but it's interesting, because then they link it to movies, so there's different platforms, and then you can access really easily, because it's part of the World Cinema Fund Foundation.
0: And at the same time, in a way, in a neoliberal platform, capitalism platform, someone earns money with it. (laughs) but But it's interesting, because it makes it also available on these huge platforms, getting maybe other audience than before.
1: Yeah, I think it's also, I mean, how can you... It's also about um, smuggling in a way, right, I would say. It's not only, yeah, or it's appropriating those platforms in a way, I would
0: say. Reconfiguration. (laughs) That would be actually my last question coming back just as a maybe short outlook towards the question of what does that do with the discipline dealing with this kind of of topics, with this kind of material, uh, with the radicalness. If that exists in English, <laughs> yeah, um, or the militancy of these films uh, and dealing with them and situating them in the colonial fights—that's uh, quite not yet done in German media studies as yet, as, I, as far as I see at least. Uh, so, how would you say does that change the discipline you're in, you're working in, or how far the discipline has still? To be reconfigured, to take up the motto of the cluster reconfiguring media studies. <laughs> How I see it is that actually the texts that were produced
1: in, within the militant image, like the tri-continental militant cinema practices, they are actually post-colonial or anti-colonial media theory among the lettres so that would be the first thing right so that they have to be considered as a really important part to think through media theory and post-colonial media theory and that yeah and i think that's also really a claim that i would make the other thing is um, that it also helps us to or what i would say what's important is to not only look at the current uh, to understand that the digital or the formation of the digital culture as we live it or live in it, right, um, to understand it, it's really helpful to try to trace the genealogies of them through the practices. I think that would also be something that's really important and valid in order to um, make sense also of the contemporary, of the now. <laughs> and the third would probably be really in terms of knowledge and knowledge production to take those serious in that sense that even so, because everything is so globalized and everything seems so globally accessible, it is not. I mean, there's not only various inequalities and power power relations that are really um, still along the same old lines of uh, global north and global south. And in terms of racism and, and yeah, because, I mean, in his, yeah, just in a recent talk, by, I can remember, you know, he said that this is the, biggest problem is the massiveness and the ongoing, he didn't say it like that, but mm. is racism right now. So, and I would agree actually. So, and it really helps us to think through this in terms of um, how can we link those practices, also the current ones to this question. And it, it helps us also to not um, depoliticize fields that are actually always political.
0: Yeah. Thank you very much because that in a way also shows that as you point To the topic of uh, the problem of racism it points to that this uh, militant image is not just interesting for african countries but uh, with this perspective you are taking us in it shows the responsibility we in germany we too as white scholars in this context have fighting racism in germany and the colonial legacy so thank you very much for the inspirations i would like to follow up but maybe we can do that someone else some Other time. Thanks for listening to the audience. Thanks, Maya, and hear you again in the next podcast of the cluster.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Bye bye. Bye.